All right, good people. Uh, I do want to own up. Uh, Tiana, uh, who, who's right a lot more often than I'd like to admit, but she is right a lot about things, told me I probably should not wear pants today. And so you're right, Tiana. I, I should have worn shorts. <laughs> that might mean I might expedite this more than I, I, I would otherwise, and so I guess that's the blessing in disguise. Um, I've sweated a lot, people, and, 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 I mean, <laughs> and we just got here. So anyway, uh, my name is Chris. It's very nice to, to be here. It's an honor to be here. Um, and so what I want to do is I want to read Psalm 98. Um, and then what a series that we're part of now. Um, uh, and so we'll go from there, okay? So uh, so Psalm 98 uh, is as follows. And this is the NIV version. Uh, the Lord, a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst in a jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing. With the trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the earth, excuse me, the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. So that's Psalm 98, verses 1 through 9. So we're part of this uh, broader in the Psalms, okay, not to be pronounced as the Psalms. I had to get that people. Um, I, I feel bad. Actually, no, right? You might say the Psalms. I'm not here to embarrass you if that's how you think it's pronounced, people, but Psalms, right? One of those kind of inside things uh, that happen sometimes at church. Uh, it's the hymn book of the Bible, all right? So Justin, in the last couple of weeks, has talked with us about this book, this book that is referenced throughout the Bible, uh, most notably uh, by Jesus. Jesus references the Psalms often, okay? Uh, there are 150 Psalms. Uh, the, the Psalms are comprised of five different books, okay? And they express the entire range of emotions. Despair and joy are found throughout the Psalms. So Psalm 98, which I just read, to, uh, just read okay, is in the fourth book of the Psalms. Uh, and according to the Bible Project, it is part of a group of Psalms, 93 through 99, that point to the future when the Lord will reign as king. And so I'll come back to that a little bit later, okay? Uh, now, you might be asking yourself, because uh, Justin, uh, giving us the opportunity to talk about the Psalms, gave us our choice, right? We got, he didn't say, okay, Chris, you got to talk about 98, and I took the marching orders. It was more, hey, like, which Psalm would you like to speak about? So you might be thinking to yourself, why Psalm 98? In fact, I asked myself the same question, right? Um, and, and so here's the, the reason why. When I spoke uh, during Advent, I had the opportunity to talk about Mary's song, uh, the Magnificat. And in that particular song, she referenced this psalm not once, but twice. In Luke 1, 51 and in Luke 1, 54. And so it struck me at the time that this psalm would play such a prominent role in her song. I thought, wow, I want to come back to that. Like, why that psalm multiple times, right? Uh, it suggested to me that it was somehow important. And so I wanted to learn more about it. Um, you know, that said, there was also some tension that I felt when choosing this particular psalm. And a lot of this has to do with my own upbringing and my own experience with the church. Um, and so when I was a younger person, uh, I went to a church where there was a tradition uh, where we had a time of, of testimony. Now, I, let me actually, let, let's do a little involvement here. So anybody here, you know, part of a church that had like a testimony period? All right, so I see one hand up. Okay, so yeah, I see a nodding head. So, you know, for a little bit of context, in, in case you don't know, what that means is that sometime, usually early on in the service, all right, there'll be the music playing and so forth, and then before uh, the, the, the sermon, 
there was a time of testimony where you'd come before the church, have a microphone. Oh, actually, we didn't have a microphone. My church was so small, we didn't need one. But anyway, come before the church. And, you know, it was one of those churches that had the pews, but at least we had the pillars on them, so it was somewhat soft, right? It wasn't all hard. And we had AC, but, like, we had to raise money for the AC because it was an old church. So I'm trying to give you all some context here. It was a, a black church, as I mentioned before, in terms of my own experience, but just to make sure we're clear. There were a few white folks, but, you know, for all intents and purposes, comprised of black people. Uh, and, and so folks didn't, have, didn't hesitate to get up there and speak during a time of testimony. Uh, and I remember doing that a few times myself. But one of the things I remember thinking as a, as a, a younger person is, um, right, so during the time of testimony, you, you would stand before the church and talk about a way or the ways in which God had done something meaningful in your life, right? And they wanted to proclaim this before the church, to testify, right, to speak to God's goodness. Um, and I get that, right? Like, given the context of that, um, you know, it makes sense that people would point to a psalm of ascent, right? One of these more positive psalms that have to do with joy and with praising God because that would be appropriate to the context of, right, a time of testimony. And so it wasn't a surprise that people would talk about, you know, celebration and joy, some of these happier psalms, okay? Um, but I also remember thinking to myself, are those like the only psalms that exist, right? Like, is this only Psalm 100 and only like these psalms of ascent where this is the day the Lord has made, I will rejoice to be glad in it, and, right? And just that always being happy. Um, and so that was why I was hesitant to even pick Psalm 98 now, because in my own life and in my own journey with, with Christ, right, I haven't just had all these happy moments. I can't just say the only psalm that speaks to me is Psalm 98. Like, that, that would just be untrue. Um, and so I didn't want to, like, perpetuate this idea that, hey, like, Psalm 98, we got to get to one of these positive psalms of a sin. These are the only kind of psalms that are welcome in this place. Um, a while back, Justin was talking about casting crowns, and I think you said you had a chance to go to, to the concert, right, with Riley and uh, and we play casting crowns in our house as well. Um, and so it makes me think of the song Stained Glass Masquerade, which, again, I'm not going to sing for you all. That's one thing. I'm, I'm, I stop myself there, people. I like to talk but not sing. But you can look up the lyrics. And it's this idea of like happy plastic people is one that comes to mind. And so the last thing I want to do when having an opportunity to speak before you all is talk about a psalm of ascent and just like, and without recognizing it, hey, like you may not be there, right? You may be in a different place in your life. Um, and that's okay, because there's room for that here uh, at Love Chapel Hill, okay? There is room for despair. There is room for pain. Uh, so I wanted to say that. Now, that said, this is a song that involves celebration. And so let's talk a little bit more about it, all right? So, whew, all right. When I read the first, okay, and you can feel free to, to, to scroll back and look at that as well. Um, or when I read, I should say, the first three verses, there are several things that, that jump out, okay? Um, and one is that the language is that of past tense. So it is speaking of the marvelous things God has done and to how he's remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. So this makes me think of the covenants God had made with his people, Israel, uh, and two that immediately come to mind, all right, are the covenant that God makes with Abraham, where he promises him that his descendants will number the stars in the sky, and the one that God makes with, with Moses, all right? And just continuing in this line of thought, uh, when looking at the verses that are, that are cross-referenced, and so I, whenever I'm preparing for, for a sermon, I like to look at like which, ref, which uh, parts of Scripture are referenced. I think it kind of helps me get a sense of what are they echoing, right? What, what are they trying to tie together? And so you'll see me talk about that probably a couple of times today. Uh, when I'm looking at what's cross-referenced, right, some of these things in these first three verses, uh, the Exodus story, all right, so that involves Moses. And in particular, and I just noticed this this morning, actually, Is reference. 
And the entirety of Exodus chapter 15 is actually a song of Moses and Miriam. And so, like, wait a second. So this is Psalm 98. It's referencing Exodus, which has to do with a lot, including the covenant, right? But not just Exodus, but a song in Exodus. And Psalms is all about songs. So I just wanted to mention that, all right? Um, that's, that's, that's really powerful to me, right, how these two things connect. So not only is Exodus chapter 15 mentioned, okay, but so is Jacob, all right? Uh, and in particular, they reference Genesis 49. All right. So who is Jacob? Well, Jacob is a lot of things. All right. His name changed. He wrestled with God, so on and so forth. But I think for our purposes, Jacob is Abraham's grandson. Keep in mind, God's promise to Abraham that what? His descendants would number the stars in the sky. So he actually is part of fulfilling God's promise to the people of Israel. Okay. Now, um, a little bit more here in terms of these first three verses. Uh, In Psalm 98, when it talks about God's uh, holy arm, uh, which it strike, it's just a term I'm sure we could say a lot about, right? But holy arm, okay, what do they mean by that? Well, cross-references help me once again. Uh, there's a reference to Joshua 4.24. So the five verses of chapter 4, which are 19 through 24, read as follows. On the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal. Oh, here come these Bible words. All right, I've got to take my time here. <laughs> On the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you'd crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he'd done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. Okay, so so much richness in these verses, all right? So 12, light bulbs are going off, right? 12 is the same number as the tribes of Israel. The other important things about 12 is that's the one that comes to mind in this particular context. It specifically mentions the Red Sea, all right? So it calls people to remember, right, how God actually moved his people from slavery to freedom, the great story of Exodus, all right? So it makes specific mention of that. Um, and it also uh, calls people to remember, right, and it points to the role of Israel as the nation through which the world, all right, this whole idea of the ends of the earth, will come to know God. So in other words, these three verses are meant to remind the people of Israel what God has done for them, right? Pointing specifically to, but not exclusively to, right, the Exodus, the story that, that we just, I just talked briefly about. So, all right, I guess what I'm trying to say here is, is when you look at these first three verses, the idea is to look back in the past, all right? Uh, and something else I, I want to mention here as well um, that I think is, is important for us to keep in mind, okay, is that the way in which the Psalms engage with time, Right. And so Justin talked about this uh, in his messages and uh, N.T. Wright talked about it. I listened to this whole video N.T. Wright gave on praying the Psalms. I highly recommend it. OK, uh, the, the Psalms do really interesting things in terms of the past and the future. And so this particular psalm is really calling people to look back. Right. And, and to remember, which in turn causes them to celebrate who God is. OK, so that's the first part. So let's transition now to uh, verses four through eight, which I'll, I'll group together here. And the first thing that jumps out to me is um, 
all of creation is being called to worship God. Now, again, <laughs> what I read, being honest with you all, as I read this, it, kind of, it didn't always resonate with me. And even now, I think I probably still struggle with this idea of like, what do you mean, like the rivers clap and the, and the mountains? Like, why is creation responding this way? And again, people in part, it's because of how I grew up, all right? So um, when I was, was a young person, right? so when I was about three years old, my family moved to Kansas City, Missouri, all right? And I lived there until I graduated high school. Uh, and so if you know anything about Missouri, um, which people pronounce in different ways, depending on where you're from, some say misery, which there's something to that. It is. You all can please, please. I'm picking up my own say. Some say Missouri, and that's if you're from the rural part of the state, okay? So it's a landlocked state, okay? Now, I know I heard that, I know the trivia people, right, in Love Chapel Hill, so you, you probably know this already. So I had to buy, put his thumbs up. Missouri is one of the few states, might, it might be only one of two actually, but it is a state that borders eight other states. And so I love states. I study states. I love geography. And so that's something positive about, right? When you're landlocked, you can border a bunch of other states. But you don't have mountains, and you don't have access to the, to the seas, right, <laughs> to the water. So, so here's the context, okay? So when I'm reading these, these verses that are really powerful and they're speaking to creation and all of creation, right, recognizing its creator and worshiping God, it's, 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 as an adult, I think I'm, I'm better able to, to understand what that means, okay? And it's because of how I've been able to engage with nature more as I've gotten older, all right? So growing up in a landlocked state, but now obviously North Carolina is not, um, we have the mountains, right? We have the beach. I'm just now getting accustomed to the beauty and the wonder and the awe that comes with being near the ocean or gazing at a mountain, right? Like these are newer experiences for me, all right? So maybe you all grew up this way and like it, it speaks to you just naturally, but for me, it, it's a process. So I'll tell you another story here about myself. So about the beach, okay? Uh, when and I were married, uh, back in 2009, we went to Hawaii for our honeymoon. Um, and me, right, and all my knowledge and wisdom figured, hey, I'm black and like pretty dark skinned. I don't need sunscreen. So I didn't wear sunscreen. So we spent a lot of time, <laughs> if anybody ever been to Hawaii, you know where I'm going. We spent a lot of time at the beach and it's beautiful, right? You have the ocean and there are mountains there and it's wonderful. Um, and then it's, at some point, I remember like my skin was kind of hurting a little bit and it started peeling. And I'm like, and see, I was like, Chris, you, you're sunburned. I'm like, oh, really? I, I, Y'all could laugh. It's okay to laugh, people. I'm making a joke myself. I, I can see your face. Am I supposed to laugh? You could laugh. I was sunburned because I, I literally, like, I, what do I know about a beach? My family didn't go to the beach, right? Like, that's just not something we did. So uh, just to give you more context, right? So when I'm reading these verses about nature, it's, it's not just natural for me to understand it, right? Uh, and yet, that's something I think God is doing to me in terms of my own experiences as I'm venturing out more and going sledding in the mountains and going to the beach and, and being able to see all these things. I can better understand what, what, what's being referred to here, okay? Um, and let's just say I do wear sunscreen, by the way, in case you're worried. I learned my lesson. Um, so anyway, let, let's connect the, the few about creation, praising God, right? Um, as, as the response to the fact, right, that he's done these marvelous things, that he's delivered the people of Israel, right? He opened up the Red Sea. He had them, he, well, Joshua had them cross over the Jordan River, right? Had them collect stones from the bottom of the Jordan River, all right, as a way to remember what God had done. He created these covenants with his chosen people. And so that should lead people to them, like, praise God. Like, that's the response to, right, what God has done for them, is to actually praise him and to recognize him um, for who he is, okay? 
One other thing I want to mention here, this is homework for me to do, and I'm saying it in this public context so you all get to hold me accountable for this, is in looking at these, these verses that were cross-referenced in this particular part of the psalm, Isaiah is, pops up time and time again. And in fact, the book of Isaiah also shows up in the first few verses as well. And so uh, Dr. Sandra Richter has written a book about, um, she's written a lot of books, she's, she's done a lot of research, but one of the things she writes about is the importance of Isaiah, right, when it comes to understanding the entirety of Scripture, okay? And so the Epic of Eden, Justin is nodding, yes, that, that's, that's one of the books, and so this is something that I want to read, right? I, I think I, I have a long reading list, but it's something I want to engage with, and if you haven't engaged with it, that I put on your radar as well, right? Because Isaiah is such a rich book. There's so much there, right? I know enough to know what I don't know or the depths of what I don't know, right? Um, not only are there a lot of chapters which suggest that it's super important, but there's a lot of richness there, right? Uh, and especially as, as it relates to like pointing to Jesus and who he is and the overall scope of scripture. So anyway, just something else as an aside that I won't delve into now, right? But just something to keep in mind uh, that I noticed when reading this, right? This, this particular middle part about, um, about creating God. Now, on that note, there, there's something else I'd like to refer to here in Psalm 98 that actually does talk specifically about, about Jesus. Because um, as I read this, I thought, huh, where else had I, I heard this somewhere before about creation responding to God, right? Um, and so it made me, it pointed me to Luke 19, all right? And I'm going to read verses 28 through 40. In a section of the Bible here, right, it says, Jesus comes to Jerusalem as king. It's, it's like the title of this particular section of scripture, Okay. So after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, As you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one is untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you untie it, say, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they'd seen. The whole crowd. All right, picture the I'm reading fast here, so I'm going to slow down a bit. So picture the scene here, Okay. The whole crowd of disciples begin to joyfully praise God. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. All right, take a step back. Go, Matt that Jesus entering into Jerusalem this way is how a king would enter into Jerusalem. So the message was sent pretty clearly in terms of who he was. King, right? King Jesus. Um, and Matt already talked a lot about this. I'm not going to go, right? So I just, I just wanted to make that reference. If you want to learn more about it, it's in, you can find the, the, the sermon somewhere on Love Chapel Hill's page. I can't tell you exactly where, but somewhere in the last, in the last year, okay? Um, but his response to the Pharisees, right, that even the stones will cry out, that's the verse that, right, my brain was like, wait, I've heard something about creation crying out, right, and responding to God. That's the particular verse, right, that I think, I think is relevant here. When we read Psalm 98. And when we consider that this psalm 
is a part of the Psalms that look to the future when the Lord will reign as king. We can see the connection to not only the triumphal entry, right? Jesus ushering in his kingdom, right? In many ways on, on earth as he, as he enters into the last week of his life. But I also think there might be a connection as well to the new heavens and the It up to you, my friend, to figure out how we're going to unpack all that. <laughs> but Revelation 21, all right? Anybody read the Left Behind books back in the day? I guess that's another conversation, but that's where that's coming from. Okay, just to make sure we're all clear. So, but no, but Revelation 21, oh, no, I'm getting out of the camera probably. All right. Which also parallels the beginning or the Garden of Eden. Okay, so if the jumping around in terms of the timeline is confusing, okay, no worries because there's a lot, right? There's a lot going on here. And again, that's where I think N.T. Wright is super helpful in terms of helping us understand the way in which the Psalms engage with time, right? It involves both looking back, it involves what's going on in the present, and it also involves looking to the future, which then also kind of ties back to what happened in the past. It's a lot, right? It's a lot to process, but I think that's also what makes it so beautiful and powerful to me, right, as, as I wrestle with it and think about it. Like, oh my goodness, all that is happening, right? I think, there's, I think that these things are all relevant as we consider Creation itself recognizing who God is as, as creator and praising him in response. And Jesus making right when he's entering into the last week of his life, um, that even the stones will cry out. Uh, let's go to verse 9. First verse 9 is really a continuation, I think, of the previous verses. Uh, but because it mentions the word judge, I'm going to distinguish it from those others, okay? All right, now, I, I don't know about you, but I, I'll speak for myself. You know, when I hear the word judgment, and I'm at church, I immediately put my guard up. I'm like, okay, here we go. All right, uh, here it comes. All right. Uh, and maybe, again, I'm speaking maybe from my own experience here, good people, okay? Um, but what I think about is the finger pointing and the insensitive statements that usually ensue. I think of shaming people, and I think of making them feel worthless. I don't think that's what's being communicated in this psalm, however. And based on my reading of the Gospels, I don't think this is what Jesus would aim to do or aims to do when, when he engages with this scripture is to make people like feel really you know, bad about themselves. OK. Instead, right, I, I think some, some framing it differently would be super helpful. All right. I didn't intend to say this. I'm not, it's going to be. All right. The Supreme Court has made. science professor, so I pay a lot of attention to these kind of things. In particular, I'm not saying that you all shouldn't pay attention to it that you don't, but I pay particular attention to it. And I'm just, I'm really just intrigued by the entity and, 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 and the power that it's had and judicial review. And these are all things that I talk about and think a lot about, right? So I'm saying that to say, right, that's a court that I, I might imagine for many of us, we've been thinking a lot about those judges and what informs their decisions, okay? And the extent to which we consider them to be fair or just or accurate, okay? I think, I think that's, that's good. I handled that all right. I'm happy with that. Now, if that's the idea that we have of a judge, wow, I, that might be problematic, right? But God as judge is, is fundamentally different, though, okay? So when I think about God as judge, I think of someone who put himself in the position of the defendant and ultimately took the punishment despite being without fault. I can't imagine the nine, the, the nine justices, right, in the Supreme Court doing anything like that, right? Or judges anywhere, state courts, Local courts, right? 
the courts in the American Indian lands. I, I, I can't imagine any of those judges making that same decision, okay? So I find comfort in the fact that it is not our righteousness by which we are judged, but Jesus. And because he paid the ultimate cost, shedding his blood, acting as the ultimate sacrificial lamb, which again, that goes back to Exodus, that we are reconciled with God and that we are in right relationship with God. We are judged equitably because no matter who we are and what we've done and no matter our background and no matter what's in our bank account, none of us could ever measure up. And yet because of who Jesus is, we don't actually have to, to measure up. All right, so I'm going to reference Paul here for a bit, Book of Romans. And there are a couple of parts of Romans I want to highlight here. So first, Romans 5.18, which reads, Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. But just as through the disobedience of one man the, um, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one many, uh, of one man, excuse me, the many will be made righteous. There's one more I want to read, and I'll talk a little bit more about justification, which, again, I had to reach out to, to Justin. Okay, Justin, let's make sure I get this right, because once I start sanctification, justification, these kind of terms, right, I think, okay, I'm sure there's debate about what this means. You know, if I, if I do an Internet search, I might not get, you know, it accurate. And, and so I, I was able to do some digging and confirmation about what that means, which I'll get to. Uh, but there's one more part here. So Romans 4, 18, 25. So against all hope, Abraham and hope. Oh, here we go. Back to Abraham. Okay, let's pay attention. Against all hope. Abraham, in hope, believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him. So shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and raised to life for our education. All right, so I read all that because it's super important, right? It makes a link specifically to Jesus. It talks about the fact of what does judgment mean for us, all right? And so justification, again, it's one of those words where I'm like, okay, i got to really make sure I get this right, okay? It's a word that relates to righteousness, all right? Um, and we are justified before God because of Jesus. And so really the way in which uh, justification works is, um, right, we had our sins, and, and, and because of who Jesus was, right, um, it moved us from being in a state of sin to, to being moved. We moved from being in a state of sin to a state of righteousness, okay? And that's because of who Jesus is, because he, he essentially took our place and took the judgment that was due to us he took it upon himself. Okay, so that's my like very cursory engagement with justification, all right? Um, but it's a word that tells us something about righteousness. That's what I think is super important, okay? That we are justified before God because of Jesus, right? Jesus paid the price we, in fact, could not pay. He died, and because of that, we are now in right standing with God. Thus, one need not be fearful of God's judgment. And again, this is because of who Jesus is, okay? You, I'm really sweating up here, aren't I? Gracious. Oh, man. Woo! North Carolina in July, even in the shade, is hot. All right. So I want to kind of let that sit for a moment. And what I want to communicate to you is 
It's also not lost on me that, you know, anytime we're in a church context, you know, I don't want to make an assumption about where people are, right? If, how, do you, how you think about Jesus, what Jesus even means to you. So, so what I want to communicate now is that, right, that grace, which is another word that I know in Christian church, oh, grace, okay. But grace, right, which also is tied up in all this, that is available to you, all right, no matter where you are in life. And, and if you want to talk with someone about Jesus, what it means to know Jesus and follow Jesus and, and all some of these things that I've been talking about today, um, then you can grab Justin or Joel. They're at the back there near, near the beverages, very wise people indeed, given today's heat. And so you can talk with them uh, during the service or you know, during communion or after the service. Okay. Um, you can also fill out a connect card indicating that you want to learn more about, about Jesus. And if you don't know what a connect card is, then I, I'm pretty sure, sure the announcements people will do their part to explain what a connect card is. It, it's just hit me now, all this kind of like inside you know, language of like justification, grace, connect card. You know, it's like, what? In the world? Imagine if you, I mean, it's like, goodness, it's like a foreign language. You know, it could be, right? <laughs> Depending on where you're from. I try to avoid that, people. All right. What a psalm, all right? The, 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 my, my closing thoughts here. What a psalm. Um, I think about all the songs I've listened to in my life, and I think I mentioned to you all when I talked about Mary. So I love music, right? Especially old music, right? Jazz and R&B, and I listen to a lot of different things. I listen to some current music, too. My kids help me with that in particular. Kids bop, by the way. That's how I kind of learned about modern music. And then I hear the real version. I'm like, oh, that's a little different. Okay. Um, but I, I like music, so I'll, I'll hum around the house, or I'll try to, you know, I'll sing, and and all that. And so yeah, I'm a huge fan, for example, of the Isley Brothers. Anybody, any, I don't know if anybody is, but their album 3 Plus 3 is one of my favorites. It was released 10 years before I was born, okay? Um, but it's still one of my favorites. And I remember, you know, specifically, uh, so I went to, to school in Iowa. Um, and so Iowa City, eastern Iowa. It's about four and a half hours from Kansas City. And so I had my, my 2001 Mitsubishi Gallant that was gold that I named Leroy. So imagine when I met Matt, and I was like, oh my goodness. But it was L-E-R-O-I, which in French means the king. And so I, I, and so I met Matt, I'm like, Leroy, this is amazing, right? So anyway, in this car, I mean, you can, you can imagine this car, people, right? I, and I love this, right? My, my first car I owned, paid $4,200 for it used, okay? So I was driving Leroy, I had this like CD player, I think that could fit six CDs, I'm thinking, or most, yeah, at least, at least more than one, I think six. It might not have been that fancy, but I put my three plus three out, uh, CD in, CDs. Okay, I'm really dating myself, aren't I? And I would take off from Iowa City on Interstate 80, making my way to Kansas City, right? And I would be jamming out to the Isleys, and um, I just, I just have, I have, I'm brought back to a certain time in my life when I think about that album, right? Um, I'm a fan of 90s music, all right? I like everything from hip-hop to ska, you know, any, any ska people in the house, right? To alternative music, okay? Anybody, anybody, right? Uh, I think about the countless songs that I know and I enjoy listening to, right? Um, and it makes me think about the songbook of scripture and just how much there is there. In listening to N.T. Wright uh, in preparing for, for today, uh, he talks about this idea of being soaked in the Psalms, which I thought, whoa, like that's, well, that's deep, right? I need to really kind of resonate, resonate with that right? and, re and grapple with that, right? That resonates with me and I need to ruminate, I should say, on that. What does it mean to be soaked in the Psalms, Okay. In listening to N.C. Wright speak, he talked about the 90s, right? And when you, don't you love it when you get to the 90s? And he was talking about the 90s of the Psalms. And I'm like, what? Like, what would that be like, right? To say, don't you, as you read, because first of all, it means you read through the Psalms. It means you know that there are at least 90 Psalms. It means you know, like, 
what they do in that particular part of the song. You see what I'm saying? When you say, Don't you love it when you get to the 90s? And he, he kept going on and on. I thought, oh my goodness, that's something to aspire to, right? So, you know, when I think about the 90s, um, oh, 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 okay, I didn't, I didn't skip that. I have, I, have a, I have a fun part here we're going to do in a second. So, what would it look like to have a sense of what, what is grappled with in, 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 um, in all the Psalms, right? But to be able for me to say, oh, don't you love when you juxtapose Psalm 51 with Psalm 150? And like to be able to actually have a conversation with people about that. Right now, I can't do it. I know 51. I know 150 is the last one, but I can't tell you a lot about it, right? But to be able to do that because I'm so soaked in the Psalms, right? Just as much as I could stop, and I think maybe some of you could join me here, right? And feel free to. I'm not going to do a lot of it. Um, but I can wrap the opening credits to The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I remember when that came out, right? In West Philadelphia, born and raised in the playground. is where I spent most of my days. See, yeah, see, Wes is with me, right? So I should have slowed down and, like, did a little. So, but you all, maybe in your head, you brought back, right? And I know Will Smith. I, I know he's changed a little bit since 90, right? And I'm not here to judge the brother. But what I'm here to say is I remember that show. Right? And I could, I could talk, and I, I remember like being on the bus and rapping that with people, right? So what would that mean for me to be able to do the same thing, like to, to, to be so soaked in the Psalms, I could do the same thing in Psalms, right? Now, again, people, hear me, hear me. I want you to hear me. I'm not here to berate you, right, and, and guilt you. You better read those Psalms, right? Get soaked in the Psalms. And you see I'm doing that kind of like old black man, that's that old, my old black man kind of angry voice there, by the way, that kind of brings me back to growing up, right? But, you know, I, I, I'm not suggesting that, you, you shouldn't be listening to music unless it's like Christian music. No, that, that's not at all what I'm saying, people. What I'm trying to say is, and I'm speaking to myself as well, I want to encourage you, right, that we add the songbook of, of, of the Bible, right, to our playlist. And I, and I say that because when we read the Psalms, we encounter Jesus, and that's a wonderful thing indeed. So that's what I got here. I should have let you know I was in it, Brother Simmons. I, I, usually it's a transition to like the Last Supper or something. I, I, I didn't say that, but that, that's, what I, that's what I have. Um, so I appreciate you all's time. Oh. Yeah. Thank you, man. It's so good. So good. Yeah, that's. <laughs> they'll catch you singing afterwards. So oh. <laughs> you want to turn that off. Uh, thank you, Chris. Thank you for leading us in the word today. A lot of, yeah, a lot of connections for us. I'm not sure I've laughed that hard during a message for a while, so thank you. But Chris, you prepared us so well for coming to the table that each and every week we get to come to this table with hearts of remembrance. Remembrance of what Jesus has done for us, the place that he took for us, that his body would be broken, that we could be set free. And because of him taking our place, we can be active participants in his grace, that because of that big word justification, then sanctification, this ongoing work of the Holy Spirit to transform us into the image of Christ, that it is a constant work that he is doing in us. And as we come to the table, it, this is a means of that grace that we get to taste and see his goodness again and again. As we come to the table today, may the taste of this bread and the taste of the cup be for us the seeds of a new song that we might sing his praises. 
Because if we don't, all of creation will cry out in our place. And if we get to that place, it's gone south. But they will stand in for us. But here, here we are called to be active participants in that song of praise. As we come to the table today, we're going to come along this side and Anna and John are going to serve us. They will tear off a piece of the bread and then you can dip it in the cup and receive it here. You can take it back to your seat. You can take a walk. If you need a gluten-free option, that is available here for you as well. Let's pray together. God, it is because of your goodness and your great love for us that we are able to participate in this story. We are not separated from you, but we are called into your presence. And not that there is anything we can do to make you love us more or love us less. But God, we simply turn to you we experience your embrace. No matter where we are today, the burdens that we are carrying into this place and to this table, God, you know each and every one of them. And you meet us. You meet us with wide open arms. As we experience that today, God, may we be continually singing a new song through this week. We pray this psalm together. Stir up in us, God, what you would have us to sing. It's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.